Hey guys, before today's episode of the podcast, I want you to text me 212-931-5731. If you don't, you're missing out. I'm putting all my eggs in the fucking text basket. 212-931-5731. This is the Gary V Audio Experience. Hey everybody, uh, welcome to a conversation on the podcast, uh, a format that it seems that a lot of people are liking and so we're gonna continue to do it. Um, I'm super excited about this uh, interview because this is a great story about if you don't ask, you don't get. So I'm gonna let this lovely lady introduce herself and tell you uh, uh, who she is, then I'll tell you how she got here and then we're gonna (laughs) shoot the shit. What's up? I'm What's so up? excited Good to, to see be you back here. It's crazy. So I'm Heather Monahan. I was formerly a chief revenue officer in corporate America for 14 years. Um, I got fired two years ago. And when that happened, I wrote and self-published my first book, Confidence Creator, which trumped Trump for number one in business biographies on Amazon. Have the screenshot to prove that one. And I've just been out now speaking. I just did my first TED Talk Saturday. Thank you. And um, I'm just tearing it up. So so I was on your podcast Thank uh, you for a couple that, months ago. Way. You're welcome for that. A couple months ago, uh, Heather. And then, uh, thank you. Bro. And then uh, at the end or in it or towards the end, you're like, can I be on yours? And I said, yep, you can. And the reason, and one, we had a great, I thought it was a great session on your podcast. Everyone loved it. Yeah, it actually, good. let's jump into that. How was the feedback? Amazing. I what mean, was the thing that stood out? People said it was a different version of you because we talked a lot about family. Remember yep, we talked we did. about I your did. grandmother? Yep. Like we really got into some different topics I think yep. that typically people don't explore with you, which was cool. Cool. Uh, and so great energy to your point. I did think it was, it got into a lot of territories that were different. And uh, yeah, I, I just, you know, it's funny. I, and, and for everybody listening, you've seen Zane, who's sitting here, asks me at a Q&A, can I get a job? I say yes, he literally works here. Uh, <laughs> uh, you've seen other things, you know, I say yes to, and then, and then I say no all the time, like thousands and thousands, not thousands, hundreds and hundreds of people have asked me in those kind of scenarios, can I be on the podcast or this or that? You can't get a shout on your social and things of that nature. And I always feel super comfortable saying no or yes, uh, but, to the point, and and something that I'd like to start talking about as a kickoff point before we go into a little more context on you and then anything else you want to talk about is how much, how often do you ask for what you're looking for? How has that worked for you in your career? When did you develop it? Has it always been there? I think, you know, uh, I put out a piece of content recently where I told everybody to DM, every uh, to text everybody in their address book if they knew anybody that could give them business, right? So if you're selling, you know, everybody listening, if you missed it, if you sell t-shirts, if you have an agency, if you have, you know, a product, a book, instead of texting everybody in your phone, and I'm talking like starting with Aaron Andelson and ending with Zach Zarlington, you know, if you text everybody, instead of saying, hey, can you buy my book? You could say, hey, I have a new book, Aaron. Uh, do you know anybody who'd be interested in it? Which of course alludes to maybe them, or maybe they actually do recommend somebody on it. That really struck a chord and I've gotten hundreds of emails in the last three weeks of people that did it and had miraculous results. Like literally, my landscaping business was about to go under. I was going to like put everything on a credit card, but I saw that clip, texted 483 people and have 13 new clients and don't need to take out credit cards. Like, so, so much of why we're sitting here is you just had the audacity 
the strategy, the balls, the thoughtfulness, whatever one wants to put in front of it to actually ask, which is something people are super fearful of. Uh, how are you with that? Obviously you did it with me. Has it always been there? Has it not been there? Tell me about you with the relationship of asking. So you're That's my opening up. question. This Heather. is funny. So you know Zach that runs your speaker business. Zach Nadler. Yes, I do. Okay. So I, so I was on a conference call with Zach and I don't know Zach Yep. and I was going to be interviewing Jesse Itzler and Sarah Blakely a month ago in Boston. And so they had this call with me to like basically strategize how it would go and whatnot. Right. So I said, listen, Zach, I don't know you, but here's the thing. I want to come out to Biggie Small, more money, more problem. Me and Jesse will go like riff this thing up and start rapping. He's like, excuse me. Uh, no, that's is we do it traditional and blah, blah, blah. But uh, if you don't like think out of the box and then just bring it like whatever crazy heat you have, you're going to get nothing. I, I want it to be memorable. Like I want people to say, I get it. holy cow. Like, so uh, did I get what I want? No, he didn't let fine. me do it, which is fine. But he will remember me forever because as soon as he saw me at Hypergrowth, he's like, oh my God, you're that crazy lady that wanted to come out with Jesse rapping. Yes. You know, so like even if you don't get what you're going for, you're going to be remembered forever. Are you better at asking for things in business or in personal life, or Business. both. Yeah, no, me, me too. I'm not good in Me too, life. me neither. I'm I'm, I have so much less fear of no in business than I did growing up with like girls. Oh. Like so much more. I used to like laugh, totally. like thinking like, why am I 13 and willing to like do actual business with 43 year olds, but I'm like scared to ask like Stacey Johnson to the dance. But I'm the same, the same thing. And, and, and by the way, what's ironic about that is I actually have seen far more people the other way. I always used to think it was one and the same. And like, it was really funny to me to see like guys or gals that were good social life wise asking, crippled by cold calling or cold emailing or asking, which is why I asked you that. I've come to realize, wow, for some reason there's some sort of difference in those two worlds. Um, and I'm curious about who stinks at both, who's great at both, and then who's good at one or the other and which one. I wish I was good in my personal life now. What was your what was the most businessy thing you did when you grew up? The most being a kid? Yeah. Were you in business at oh, all? Oh yeah. I mean, I had a paper. I was. I grew up poor. My yep. mom was a single Where'd you mother. Grow up? Worcester, Mass. The oh, yes. five oh eight. Remember that's what Charlie yes, and yes, I yes, had yes, that yes, in yes, common. I remember. Yeah. So no, I had a paper route since I was nine. I worked at fast food restaurants. I was you know a busboy at like diners. You know, I just always worked. And so. What about entrepreneurship versus job? Obviously, you were CRO. Now you've got fired. You're doing your own thing. Yeah, it's crazy. Was because, you know, a lot of people that grow up with adversity, single mom, having to work, love the stability of a real serious job. Yes. You went that I route. love that. I yes. never thought about being an entrepreneur. That was a crazy Not, idea. Can you tell the kids that are listening that, you know, neither one of us are under 25. So, 45. you know, right. So, so. Like how much we didn't grow up with entrepreneurship even being an option? No, you're the poster boy for the entrepreneurial world, but that didn't exist when we were kids. Everyone was in corporate America. I didn't even know there was such a thing. Like that wasn't that wasn't something somebody talked about. Yeah, like the only way you heard it is like, oh, they own their own business. You would not even right. use the word entrepreneur. No. And as a matter of fact, the word entrepreneur, the few times I did hear it, usually meant rich kid 
who does nothing and parents are pink <laughs> really. It's really interesting, like that's how I recall it. Like four or five guys that I can think of growing up as 16, 22, 21, like they would have like a card that was like, I'm an entrepreneur and I was like, what does that mean? And basically then somebody else, when they would leave, be like, oh, they just live on the beach. PhD, Their parents are do, you, like, yeah. do you remember that PhD, Papa has dealership? <laughs> yes. Yeah, that was, I mean, that was the entrepreneur back in the day. What are you most thinking about these days? Like what, do you, what is your business today? Well, right now, my number one revenue stream is a speaking business, which is insane. I can't believe how much money I get paid. It's I agree. crazy. It's so exciting. I wish I had known about this. How many times did you speak for free, if ever? I just spoke for free at the freaking TED no, no, Talk. No, 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 that I don't. I'm talking about prior to getting paid or was your first- My whole career. For 20 years in corporate America, I was right. a sales leader. Right. Every day I spoke. You're speaking to your team. But clients, how about after whatever. you got fired? Actually, tell that quick story before we run out of time. Which one? The framework of what I recall from our podcast and really where you go. You had this big gig. You got fired. Yeah. You had to make an adjustment. Yeah, no, that was the scariest thing because I wasn't, I wasn't comfortable with that unknown space like how you are. You've you know, you've always been in this lane. Yeah, that's my world. For me, that was never my world. I like that safe. I used, I was tricking myself. I thought it was really safe being in corporate America, which is bullshit because any company can be sold tomorrow and Correct. you only have your brand and you and your experiences and your network. So I you agree. are not safe unless you are actually doing it. I feel so much safer now that I work for myself. Because you're in control. I'm in control. I trust my boss. You know, like I, I am not going to sell the company. I'm good, you know, and just it's such a it's a seismic shift to think about how I what's the first thing you thought so you get how did you get fired in person yeah in a Uh, two minute meeting two minutes with HR so that no with the new CEO the CEO I had worked for for 14 years became ill he elevated his daughter to replace him and she immediately said come over I need to have a meeting with you and she basically passed two memos in front of me and said I don't need a chief revenue officer anymore I don't need you which memo would you like to sign and one said, Heather Monaghan's been fired. And the other one said, you know, Heather Monaghan, wonderful <laughs> employee, blah, blah, blah. But I knew this wasn't my first rodeo. I knew did that you, there was. Did you have any relationship with her? Well, Prior? I, she was the CFO and I got was the CRO. It, so we were like, she it. wanted to cut everything and I wanted to spend everything. I got it. Of course. That makes you know? sense. But I, I Did never... you know when she called you over, it was Kaputsky's or did you no, hope? No, she's a smart woman. Yeah. She was very analytical yep. and you know, she's a CFO. She was, right. She's the antithesis of me, but I, I got thought it. she knew like. I mean, the yin and the yang. Job, I'm not going to fire her. Right. I figured she was going to rough me up a little, you know, to or try to get aligned. Yeah. Well, I didn't think so. That were was you shocked? Happen. Well, I was cry. I mean, I cried the whole three hour ride home. Did you? Did you? Do you have it in you in that scenario? Like, what's funny about me is every time anything happens, I start the process of worst case scenario. Dustin emails me and says, "I need three minutes with you." The first, this is real, this, I just, it just happened. The first thing I think is, I hope he's not sick. Like I go so oh funny, I go into like, what's the worst that can happen? I hope he's not sick. Uh, I hope something ter- like something weird didn't happen. Like, you know, like John did something weird to him and it needs to go to HR. That's the next, <laughs> to me it's in this order. Something, that person or their family is sick. Next, something like super politically incorrect, legal, sexual harassment, that's the next worst thing. Third is a good employee wants to leave. So if like a good employee says I need to see you, that's the third thing I think. But like that's all I think. I don't think like, oh, it's gonna be a five minute check-in. This is, by the way, everyone who's listening, this is the shit of owning your shit. Like this is actually the way you think. This is why it's interesting what you, like it's crazy to me, but it makes so much sense, which is why I'm jumping on this point. I never really thought about this. 
the only thing I would have thought when she wanted to see me is I'm getting fired. But what I just realized based on your reaction literally just hit me is like, right, when you're completely accountable to yourself, which is what you're figuring out now, mm-hmm. all the greatness of loving your boss and feeling safe, yeah. the shit part is the way my brain actually works. Listen to what I'm telling you. Every time anyone reaches out to me, in order, I think about terminal illness for them or their one loved one, sexual harassment or stealing or something horrible. Third is they're leaving and we value them. That is literally the order that my head goes. Then it's like, hey Gary, can we get 500 bucks for a TGIF Fridays party next Thursday for the team? I'm like, yes. That's why I'm always always in a good mood when it's anything but three. And the third one's not even that scary because genuinely on the record for anybody from Vayner that hears this, if one feels like they're ready to move on, I want to help them. It's the first two that scare the fuck out of me and always what I think. Every time a client reaches out, we're getting fired. Never we're getting more growth of business. Macro, I'm optimistic. Macro, I'm like, we're gonna win, we're the best. Micro, micro, I'm not. That Ma- means something big. I don't know what it is. I'm not a psychologist, well, let me tell you, but it's gotta let mean me tell something. You, let me tell you what it means in your world. When you're walking in there, micro, she's about to fucking fire me. Macro, I'm fucking a capable human being. I'm gonna fucking figure it out. Whether I'm gonna get another fucking job that's gonna pay me more, or I'm gonna start my own career and fucking speak at TEDx. Got it? Yeah, I was, but I was the opposite of that. I understand. That's crazy. Which is what I'm thinking of, why I'm saying this so aggressively is because there's two people listening right now in this show, in the framework of business, entrepreneurs and employees. And it's like an interesting debate for people that are like, for example, there's a lot of people that are employees right now that are thinking about making the jump where they listen to what I just said and are saying, do I want to live a life where I have to always be that on and anxious at all times? Because yes, I'm a firefighter. Like what's amazing about your life right now is you're in control. What's terrible is you're in control. Right. Like if you decide to chill this morning, like if Dustin isn't, (laughs) I'm just looking at him. If Dustin's just like not feeling it today and I'm like pumped all the time and have days when you wake up and you're just not fully feeling it, one could argue that you can call out sick. You can lally gag your day. You can. For me, that's at like I'm like, oh, the reason I haven't had a sick day in nine years is that's more scary than the lallygag. Obviously, if I run 105 fever, I'm willing to stay home. But all those days, I mean, I called out of school 13 to 23 times a year. I made pretend I was sick 13 times a year. (laughs) Once I figured out in high school that the nurse had to send you home if you weren't willing to go back to class legally, it was over. I just laid there until they sent me home. I'm like, I'm nauseous, I'm unconscious, I feel weird, I'm anxious, like, get me out of here. And then the best part was I'd go outside, my mom would have to pick me up freshman, sophomore year, and junior year before I got my car, and literally I would never look at her because like, the second I would look at her eyes, I would just start laughing because we both knew the gig. The gig was up. Anyway, not to, not to tally, what happens? You cry all the way home and then what? I went under a weighted blanket, grabbed a bottle of Chardonnay, and then I did something. How was the Chardonnay? Oh, it wasn't empathy. It needed to I be know empathy. That. We don't now have, it's empathy. It. No, but how was it? Oh, it was good. Good, okay. But, all right, so here's the thing, though. I did something super smart, and I had never done it. I posted on social media that I just got fired. Mm. I just was vulnerable, and I just said, I need your you help. You needed something. I needed help. I didn't know what to do, and it was crazy. Froggy from the Elvis Duran show tweeted at me, I want to help you. Is there any way I can help you? And I wrote, and I tweeted back, yeah, get me, book me on Elvis. He booked me right away to go on the Elvis show. I went on the show and halfway through the interview, Elvis says, well, obviously you're writing a book. And I said, well, obviously, but I wasn't. 
So I Googled on the plane on the way home, <laughs> how, how do you write, write a book? And it says just write. So I was like, I can do that. So I just went home and I just started writing and writing. And then, you know, it took like two months and I was done with my book. Did you debate self-publishing, because I heard you earlier say that, versus getting a book deal? Was the book deal too long and drawn down and you wanted to get it out? Speed to market. Yeah. So, you know, obviously with my history in business, I knew speed to market is critical. Yep. And I've got to move fast and I'm going to move so much faster than some traditional publishing house. So I'm glad did that you I self-published. Did you consider getting a job? Like going back? To a job, yes. So I Not had to, to sign. Company. I had to sign a non-compete when I took the chief revenue officer position. So for one year, I couldn't go back to media. Yep. So I thought to myself, if I'm going to start over as a rookie somewhere, why wouldn't I roll the dice on me versus you know if I'm going to go do something new? So I'll what just happened work next? You write the book. So I write the book, and then I Google how do you promote a book, and you speak to promote a book. So I was like, oh, that's easy. I spe- I already know how to speak. I didn't know there was a speaking business. I had no idea. Me neither. Before I got into it. It's so crazy to me. I always think, how many other things do we not know about that we could be An great uncomfortable in? amount. So that's what's so exciting. I mean, about- that's my entire thesis. When there was some gal in line in this speech I gave, and she's like, Gary, I know your thesis of taste things in your 20s, and figure out what you love or what you're great at or what there's what to your point. And she's like, but I've done all that. Like, what do I do? And I looked at her. She was from Belarus too. Uh, so I was like, you know, kind of like from the homeland. And yeah. I'm like, let me get this straight. You've decided that you've done everything on earth and you now know every, like it was just, it was funny to watch her like realize, oh, I've only done nine things and there's nine billion things. There's so many things. Well, it's like I was just mentioning to you, Marcia Kilgore, how she's disrupted the beauty business. Look at that. This is someone who has been in the beauty business for a couple of decades and one day just said, hey, I'm going to flip this whole model upside down. Now it just challenges me to think, how can I flip everything upside down? Everything's in play because of the internet. Bookstores and limos are just the first ones. Everything. Every single thing is vulnerable. Everything. Everything. What do you want to... Everybody who's listening, like you like eyelash extensions, vulnerable. You like... Ice cream, vulnerable. You like kindergarten, vulnerable. Literally, this is why I, like people you know, sometimes struggle to understand what I'm saying. All of it. The answer is yes. There's nothing that is protected. Amazon's vulnerable. I'm telling you right now, let, let me explain what I mean by that. If you ask me, give me a top 10 great idea to start a business right now, one of them is to start a local bookstore. That's shocking. I, that's why I'm making a point of it. I believe that we are at enough scale of books being delivered by Amazon that the counter move is now up for debate. That if you build a trendy, coffee, we worky, co-working, kind of vibey, dry bar, Sephora, rad fucking bookstore, that people will go. That if you make it experiential, and have a, a, another variable that people will pay the extra dollars that are more than Amazon to be there. I don't know. I I ha- So I had the TED Talk. I ordered like seven dresses online because when you're a woman, you have to really think about what you're going to wear for something What about like men? This. Well, no, it's not, the- it's not as big a deal for a man. It's not? not. You're not going to be scrutinized the way that I would be. I think it's time that we start having counter debates of where we are. Some men are like wildly focused on what they're wearing. They're not going to be scrutinized. Though. Oh, it's irrelevant. scrutinized. Yeah, I mean, everyone's going to talk about what I wore. Like, it's too sexy or it's not, she's not feminine but why, or but whatever. Why, but why does that matter? I don't know. It matters in a woman's head. It just, it. these are the it, things women think about. Men think about how much money they make, how tall they are. Men think about a lot of things too. What I'm not making a men-women thing. I'm making it a 
how do you eliminate that? Because then you go fast. I'll move out of Miami. That's what I should do to eliminate that. Or just not value people's opinions pro or con. You're right. You are right. But I want that for you. Because oh, I want that I want for everybody. That, I, I want, want it for every. Too. I want it yeah. for every. I went to the Knicks game last night and had 400,000. It was, my friend said to me, holy fuck, you're more popular than every Nick. And when I tell you that I can't even feel it, I can't which is why I can handle the next morning when somebody wrote a blog post to say that I'm trying to exploit the sports card industry because Topps paid me $25,000 to curate a set. Like, you know, you need to be able to, I really want this for you and I, I have a lot of empathy when you talk about women's appearance. Like, like the enormity of DMs that I get from women that say, look, easy for you, like I spend 40 years before I go on film and I'm like, look, there's so many, like I, I understand that historical truths, you know, men and women are different. Uh, there's a million things that go into that, but there are so many men that are shy to go on camera because of their looks, and there are so many women that are not, and vice versa. Sure. And, and, and I'm just trying to get everybody into a mindset of happiness, which is actually truth of elimination of judgment. But nonetheless, you might also enjoy it. Like it just might be fun for you to subconsciously to go through seven dresses. No. Maybe not. Absolutely not. Maybe not. No, that's I understand. pure hell. Understood. But the whole point, this is not why I was telling yeah, you Yeah, what this. were you telling me? Okay, so the whole point is this. So I had to order all these dresses because I wanted to get the right outfit and drive myself crazy. But then I I gotten these dresses from Saks and I look at, I usually order from Revolve, which is a customer-centered business, it. right? So it's easy to do business with them, return stuff. Also great pricing, right? Great pricing, great products. This is hashtag not an ad. Well, all of a sudden I look at Saks, you have to pay if you want to return it via UPS or whatever. So I'm like, I'm not going to do that. I'll bring it into the store because, you know, that's yeah. just principle. It's wrong. So I bring it into the store. I hadn't been in the store in a long time. The guy literally is like, listen, here's my card. The guy that works at the desk, there's no one in the store. And he said, here's my card. Next time you order online, if you can just include this um, code, now I'll get a commission. And I thought to myself, this model is so freaking broken that this poor sales guy is like begging for someone to, you know, use their code so that they can make a dollar off of something that they used to have people come in the store and, you know, that model is just broken. Yeah. I, I mean, that sucked. That whole experience that you just like, horrible. I would never go to Saks again Hor if somebody asked me that. Horrible experience. And now I'm not mad at Saks. I'm just mad at the whole thing. I feel bad for the guy. Well, obviously it's not, I mean, they're not training their people. I mean, there's so many issues there. It, the customer's not the focus. It's, it's, it's all broken. Yeah. Be before we head out, because we don't have that much time, what is, what's on your mind? What do you want to share with the audience? What are you talking about these oh days? Oh my gosh, stepping into fear because I was paralyzed by fear for so long. I knew that lady didn't like me when I was working there, but I would just ignore it all the time. And sure. that chipped away at me, my confidence. Sure, it chipped sure. away at like sure. my potential. And when you erode yourself in a situation, at some point you have to look in the mirror and say like, enough is enough. Yeah. I've got to like, just go out there and take a chance on me. And I, I wasn't able to do that. I got pushed out, but I'm so glad now that I did. And this Ted talk that I did, it's so ridiculous standing on a little red circle and having a ticker going off for 10 minutes. It was the, one of the most stressful things I've done. But once you're done with it, it's like, I said to myself right when I was walking out there, maybe I'm gonna bomb right now. I don't know, because this is not like anything I've ever done, but I, I'm gonna love me so much more like when I get off the stage because sure. I walked out there. Sure. And so what, since the fear professionally, have you stepped into? 
Oh my gosh, everything. Me, I left me, my fiance that I've been in a relationship with for eight years. That's a massive that move. was like massive. Yeah, it's like a domino effect for sure. sure of, you know, different things that have occurred. And I keep like pushing myself to try different things and like go to that. Talk to me about your, so speaking is a core thing for you. Yeah, that's my number one thing. So let's talk about personal brand building, which would lead to more speaking gigs. Yeah. What are you doing content wise? How are you thinking about that? I'm not doing things? a good job of that. I need a D-Rock in my life. I mean, that's definitely the next investment. The D-Rock part is not the punchline. It's it's the strategy that makes you comfortable with it. Yeah, but you you can, can have, have a D-Rock. You can you have, have a great a D- strategy, but if you don't have the team to execute it. You could have a team. Well, it's all, where do you want to make your investment? I mean, that's what you have that to- That I respect. You, you need so to you're have, saying it's a financial A hundred percent, because that's the difference Let me now. ask you a question. Yeah. Do you believe if you tweeted, much like you tweeted, I got fired, yeah. that I'm looking for an intern- for a very low cost, but I'll but you'll get the skill set to do the D Rock thing. And can you afford it? Whether you're a super hungry and you think it's strategically right because you get close to me, or B, you just come from highly wealthy parents who are going to subsidize your life during this time, and you want the experience. Do you feel like you could get that person? You're right. That was a, that's a good point. Okay, let's. So that's that. Let's put that on the <laughs> shelf. What uh, what else are you doing on content? Where are you on LinkedIn? Oh, I kill on LinkedIn. Tell me. Well, how often do you post? What do you post? How are you thinking about it? You know what? I don't strategize. And tell me but, the truth because I really want to help you. And he's like, final oh minutes. God, that's so, thank you. That's how so often do you post on LinkedIn? Um, once tell a the day. Truth. Once a day. Yeah. Written? Um, well, I do videos, but then my viral posts, like I've had millions of views on my posts. It's always nine professional pictures of like, that's the recipe for whatever reason and sharing something vulnerable. Those ones go viral for me. Have you have you tried to use LinkedIn like Twitter? I've been thinking about this a lot. No. I've been thinking about the notion of LinkedIn's algorithm is highly organic right now. And one or two sentences of thoughtful business chatter, three or four sentences on the fly. Like you're going down the elevator now after this podcast and we talked about something that you thought about and be like, literally, here's literally the LinkedIn post. Just did a podcast, made me really think about, you know, the things I continue to say no to that are actually yeses, I just need to look at them from a different angle. Mm-hmm. Is what I always challenge myself for because it's, I think, what I'm good at in giving advice for. Right. Um, that is a LinkedIn post would take you 39 seconds. I, I think you should be posting based on what you're trying to achieve in your career eight to 15 times a day on LinkedIn. Get out of here. Yep. And that's not going to be overkill, you don't think? It's not no, spamming people? No, because people aren't going to see it all. Right. What people don't understand is the algorithm. The thing that people haven't figured out is the algorithm is on the side of the person that's consuming it, not on the side of the person that's making it. Interesting. That's a good and point. And so the algorithm is going to, sh- you know who it's going to overkill? The 49 people on earth that think you're the greatest thing of all time and they're going to see all 15. And they'll be fine with it. That's fine. They're going to be pumped. Right. I'd like to get 49 pieces of content from Randy and the Macho Man Savage in 1988 every day of my life. You know, so no, the, that's why the algorithms work. People blame the algorithms like, fuck you, algorithm. I'm like, Mm-mm. the algorithm's there for the people. It's consumer centric. The reason algorithms work is because they're consumer centric. If you think I'm rad, you're gonna see me because you're gonna slow down when you're consuming it. You're gonna consume, you're gonna like, you're gonna comment. And that's an indicator that you're gonna see it. Do you respond to haters when they post on your, you do? Not always. I mean, right now, the sheer volume between text messages, social, email that I'm getting is unsustainable, even if I did it for 18 hours a day. Um, But I'm very, I I had 30 minute, uh, 30 minute uh, coffee this morning with a gentleman who, uh, I wouldn't call him a hater, but was 
aggressively pushing back against me on social. Um, and we had a lovely conversation about like marketing and how we see it differently. I get a lot of value. I mean, look, there's people that are making up stuff. The kid that wrote the article today about me in the sports card world made up stuff because right. I posted a photo of a box of cards yesterday, which I did for my friend that runs StockX, Josh, as a friendly gesture. He's turned it into this highly like, hidden compensate, I mean, people are delusional. Right. Um, so that I don't get a lot of value out of, lying or, or mean hate. If somebody, you know, haters that pick on women and use sexual, that, right. you're not gonna, there's no engagement there. People that are like, Gary, you're a charlatan, like, like you're full of shit, You've, like what have you ever done? I'm comfortable jumping in and be like, hey, I understand you may not like the Instagram videos or I might come across too aggressive, but like, on that point of what have I ever done, I do think there should be a discussion of like, I've built two massive businesses. Like, and to that point, that might be a framework to a conversation. If the reply to you is like, fuck you, bitch, then I'm like, okay, this needs to move on. If they're like, oh, okay, that makes sense, I didn't realize that, then, I, then I'll come back and be like, hey, what about you? Like, what do you do? Like, I'm, I'm very capable of dealing with negativity because I come, I come at it from compassion and empathy. They don't know me. Right. Everybody in this room doesn't know me, and I know these, these three hang out with me a lot and have a lot of access to me. They don't fully know me. Who knows you? So when people That's are right. casting judgment, like, this is why I don't take compliments high either. That's hard. That is really, you have to train yourself to do that. Well, this is why, you know, I look at, I look at like, there's a couple things that people really struggle with. If you're attractive as a guy or a gal, inevitably you're in trouble because you grew up in a life where people told you you were attractive and you took that in. If you had high success in school, if you had high success yes. in sport, you know, by not being an attractive scholar or athlete, I had none of those over things. And so what actually gave me reinforcement was the end market. Nobody complimented me except the results of my little businesses. So I became market driven, not people's opinions driven. My friends wow. got it? Yeah. That's what I've self-analyzed. Uh, so that's what I'm looking for everybody else to do. Forget about individual opinions. What's the score say? Do people, like, I always tell people, do the people that know you best like you? See, my thing is there's so many people out there that are admired, but if you look carefully, their inner circle's garbage. That's sad. Well, that's a lot of people that people think are awesome. Like a lot of people that get exposed later in the news, like bad shit, me too, fraud, to go to jail. If you look carefully, right. you can be like, why don't they have an inner circle? Why aren't there people there for a long time? That's creepy. Like I'm like, why do I have people around me forever? Like, like it's not super complicated. Like people get confused. And then the reverse. So to me, I'd rather the people that know me the best admire me the most and the people that don't know me at all and are insecure and upset with themselves hate me the most. Absolutely. That's the game. Done. Fear is a real, you need to challenge yourself, in my opinion, to play that exact, you are not naturally that person. Just like I'm not naturally work out well. Like it's really fun to think, I don't do radical candor well because I hate micro-negativity, which has led to all my vulnerabilities. That's what I'm working on. You need to fucking go all in on everything that is judgment. I love that. That's the game for you. All right, I'm in. Final point. Yeah, but what, what, you get the floor for the last 30, 60 seconds. Uh, fear is a liar and confidence is the one thing that can change everything for anyone and it's a choice it's not something you're born with it, it is a practice. practice right it's a discipline it's and it's a decision every day when you wake up but it's the game changer I'm gonna add and I apologize I said you get the last word but I'm a fucking <laughs> maniac 
I'm completely flawed. It just made me think of something. Judge the judger. A couple of new big executives have come to Vayner and they're like, wow, this place is fucking amazing. And I'm like, why? And both said the same thing. They said, after six months, they're like, you don't just blindly take content and context from people. You actually 360 it. And I'm like, what do you mean? They're like, well, a couple of weeks ago, I told you Sally Magoo sucked. And you came back a week later and said, you have a wrong perspective because you only took it from one person's point of view. And you were right after I did the homework. Judge the judger, my friends. If somebody says you're ugly, you have to decide who that person is, including your mom, including your dad. Absolutely. Most importantly, those people, because those people are coming from their, their own challenging Judge places. the judger. You're so right. People get feedback and they're like, ah, I'm stupid. I'm like, because Ricky Magoo said you're stupid? Judge the judger. That's the easiest way to get into a fear-based. Here's my framework. I don't let anybody else's opinion override my own, judge the judger, and when I lose, because there is no judger, it's just the market, my book didn't sell, my sports car didn't sell, my business did bad, we got fired, I accept it, I own it. When the market says you lost, you have to own it, it's like sports, mm -hmm. either you lost or you won. And when you lose, you have to accept it, And but anything that's a subjective judgment, judge the judger.